All right, friends, if we can, let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 today, we'll be looking at verses 26 to 40. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Uh, for those who are here today and also those who are watching from home, my name is Kenson. I serve as our Bridgeport pastor, so grateful to be with you all on this beautiful Sunday to worship our Lord together. Uh, today, we continue on in our sermon series uh, in the book uh, of Acts, and it's going to take us all the way into Advent season. So we're going to be in this for the long haul, but that's our commitment as a church is to go verse by verse through the Bible. So Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Let me just read it, and then we're going to jump right in, okay? So Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep that was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself as Azotus, and he passed through and preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before the pandemic hit, my family had an opportunity to go to Wisconsin to do some apple picking. Now, as a city kid, the only apples that I've ever picked are from Mariano's, okay? So that's all I've ever gotten. So I go to this field, and it is amazing. It is rows upon rows upon rows of apple trees. And we came late in the season, so there's only a few apples left on the trees. But in my mind, you know, what's the big deal? All apples are all the same. And, and these apples on the tree were green. So I decided to pick off an apple, do a taste test, and right away I was like, oh, yuck! I spit it out right away. It was sour and tart. And that's when I realized why it was only green apples left on these trees, because they were red apple trees. The apples were green because they weren't ripe. They weren't ready to be picked yet. It needed more time 
to process. You know, I share that with you because Jesus teaches that people becoming Christians is like a harvest. And what that's meant to tell us is that people coming to know Jesus is going to take time that we lovingly and patiently wait to take the time to tell them about Jesus, love them, serve them, bless them, as God is preparing for them to be a part of his harvest as he's getting them ready for their hearts to, re- to be ripe. You know, today in the, we finished chapter 8 here in the book of Acts, and what we see here is that the Spirit of God lead Philip to share the good news of Jesus with an Ethiopian eunuch, and we call this evangelism. Evangelism is simply Christians talking to non-Christians about Jesus. In the Greek, the word evangelism literally means to announce good news. And this is exactly what the book of Acts is all about. It's about an extraordinary God using ordinary people like us to do extraordinary things for his kingdom. And what are those extraordinary things? It's the conversion of people through evangelism. So far in the book of Acts, the explosion of the church has been rapid and incredible. First, we see, a, we see 120 filled with the Spirit. Then we see 3,000 added to those numbers. Then we see another 5,000 plus added to those numbers. And in between that, Christians are meeting in homes and in small groups, and God is adding to their numbers daily. The church is blowing up. God loves numbers. God loves crowds here. But he doesn't love numbers for the sake of numbers but it's what those numbers beautifully represent. They represent faces, stories, the Imago Dei. It represents transformed lives. And this is what we mean by seeing a movement of God. It is seeing lives upon lives radically changed by sharing of the gospel in our city and in our world. It's the lost being found, the broken being healed, the rejected being accepted, the guilty being forgiven, those who are empty being made whole. It's the sinner that is being loved. This is the power of the gospel. This is the mission of the church. And just like how God used Philip to be a part of this movement, God seeks to use us to do the very same thing. So what I want to do for our time here today is I want to show you how God brings about this changing of lives and the role we play in it. And here are the three points to move us along. First, God is ultimately responsible for salvation. God is ultimately responsible for salvation. Second, God uses people to save people. God uses people to accomplish that saving purpose. And third, The only message that saves is the cross of Jesus Christ. So first, the Holy Spirit, God, is responsible for salvation. Now, when you read our story, it is not hard to see who is orchestrating this Ethiopian eunuch's salvation. It is clearly God. In verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go to Gaza. Verse 29, And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. Now just imagine how awkward this would be here. Philip is running. Why is he running? It's because the chariot is on the move. And the spirit tells Philip, hey, you see that chariot that's on the move? You go, run right next to it and ask, hey, do you want to talk about God? You know, it's kind of like us like going down the lake shore and someone's biking and we're running next to them saying, hey, you want to talk about God? You have any questions about God? 
we wouldn't do that. And in the same way, this is not something that in that ancient culture was normal to do, that you would just talk to someone on a chariot. But the Spirit tells Philip to go do it, and he does exactly that. And what happens next is incredible. Philip jumps on and finds the Ethiopian eunuch reading from Isaiah 53, which is a messianic psalm that talks about the sacrifice of Jesus. And when it comes to evangelism, this cannot get any easier. This is a layup. I bet Rafe, when he hits the streets, which, which is, this happens all the time. But in this story, this is what's amazing. Notice how the Spirit is involved in every single aspect of this situation. The location is perfect. The timing is perfect. The Bible versus the eunuch is reading is perfect. The eunuch's heart being ready is perfect. This is not a coincidence. This is all divine intervention. Now, why is God so involved in this process between Philip and the eunuch? The answer isn't flattering. It's because the church has been dragging its feet to obey the Great Commission. They remember before that Jesus ascended to heaven, he tells, us to, he tells the disciples to go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he tells us to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, the good news of Jesus needs to go to all ethnic groups, to all races, to all cultures. And currently in the book of Acts, the believers are being scattered all over the regions because of persecution, because prior to that persecution, all the Christians continued to stay huddled in Jerusalem. God literally needs to bring about suffering and trials to get them moving. This is why God tells Philip, a middle-aged Jewish man, to run and go to a sexually altered black African and engage with him. It's because it is God who saves. And in the process, notice, God is also seeking to break down those racial barriers. The good news of Jesus is not for people like you. It's also for people who are not like you. Notice that this is how the Spirit guides and directs and moves Philip. Are you being led by the Spirit in the same way? Or are you resisting him? We need the Spirit of God just as much as back then to wake up the church today because in very much the same ways, we too are dragging our feet when it comes to loving those and embracing those and sharing the gospel with those who are different from us, from every race and culture. Instead, many of us would rather stay in our comfort zones. You know, here's some sobering evangelism statistics of churches, you know, from the author Mike Parrott, who writes about the book Street Level Evangelism, and he says this about evangelism amongst Christians. He says 95% of all Christians have never won a soul to Christ. 80% of all Christians do not consistently witness for Christ. And finally, and this is most shocking, less than 2% of Christians are involved in the ministry of evangelism. That is resisting the work of the Holy Spirit. In addition, the church is still one of the most segregated institutions in the entire country. That 10 a.m. on Sundays is still the most segregated hour. Is there any wonder why there is such a lack of the Spirit's presence within the Western church? 
when there is so little evangelism and so little racial reconciliation. Both of these things are the very work of the Spirit of God. It is to save people and it's to break down all barriers of sin. It's to see an Ethiopian and a Jew call themselves brothers and to embrace one another. That is the work of the Spirit. It's to remember that our worth and identity is not in the things that we do, it's not in our pedigree, it's not in our skin color, but it's to know that it's in the gospel. We are saved apart from our works and our race, and we are saved purely by the love of God shown on the cross, and it's when we understand that, it's when we know that our worth and acceptance is in Christ alone, it will move us away from staying within our comfort zones. It will move us away from staying with only people who look like us, but it'll get us to all different types of people. God is the one who saves. God is the one who unites. It's not the Ethiopian eunuch. It's not Philip. It's not culture. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. He is the one that is responsible for saving, and he will move you, just like in the case here, to very uncomfortable situations to bring about the gospel for his glory. Here, this leads us to the second point. Second, even though God saves, God uses people, us, to accomplish it. In this story, God uses Philip. And what we hear, what we see here is that Philip, first, we know, we first heard about him in Acts chapter 6 when he was one of the first deacons that was chosen. And what we see here is that he also loves sharing about Jesus. He's often called an evangelist. So an angel tells Philip to go to the middle of nowhere. Now, so some context here. Philip right now is preaching the gospel in Samaria. And a revival is happening. And right in the middle of all this action, God tells Philip to go to this desert place, specifically Gaza. Now, Gaza during this time was in the middle of nowhere. And on top of that, Philip would have to travel 165 miles to meet this chariot. And what's amazing is that Philip obeyed immediately. He didn't fight with God. He didn't argue with God. He didn't try to negotiate with God. Philip could have been, hey, God, I'm big time stuff. I'm a deacon. You know, I'm doing big things in a big city like Samaria. People are getting saved. You need me here in a big city. You know, not, not in some small town where there's only one stoplight. You need, you need me here right now. No, Philip's like, here I am. Send me. Verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road and go that goes down to, from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Verse 27, and he rose and went. No questions asked. He rose and went. Verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. No questions asked. He just did what the Spirit said. And verse 39 and 40, and when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, but Philip found himself at Ezotos, and he passed through and he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So Philip here is ministering to this Ethiopian eunuch. Then next thing you know, God takes him away and brings him to Ezotos. And he doesn't know why he's there, but he just starts preaching the gospel right away. Here's the point I'm trying to bring to you guys. God is the one who brings salvation, but he uses people to save people. More specifically, he uses people who are yielded to the Holy Spirit. 
People like Philip who are sensitive and obedient to the Spirit's direction. Now, we don't know exactly how the Spirit spoke to Philip. It could come in many forms. You know, the Spirit could speak through a word of prophecy. It could be through a divine vision. It could be through yearning and conviction. But in all the ways that the Spirit can come to us, it will always be in line with the truth of God's Word. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit will never, ever contradict one another. And in my experience, 90% of the time, The Spirit speaks to me when I am in his word. But what we do see here is that even though we don't know how that happened, we know that the Spirit connects with Philip, and Philip obeys the Spirit. Do you know and walk with the Spirit like Philip? Do you know the Spirit is speaking to you? Has he laid on your heart something to do, somewhere to go, or something to say to others? You know, we see here in Acts over and over again is that we will be on mission when we are listening to the Spirit. Now, even though Philip was quick to obey, you must have wondered that in a 165-mile journey from Jerusalem to Gaza, he might have asked a few times, God, why Gaza? Like, why, why are you sending me here, right? Samaria is big, large crowds. People are coming to Jesus, but now I'm going to this really small town. Why? Well, for us who are reading this passage, We know why, because we have the perspective. It's because God has been preparing. He's been ripening the heart of this Ethiopian eunuch, that God loved this one person so much that he put together this entire plan so that this eunuch could come and fall in love with Jesus Christ. Friends, are you willing to reach that one person God has placed in front of you? Will you pursue them? Will you love them? Will you bless them? B-L-E-E-S-S. And actually, that's an acronym that I use in how I engage the lost people in my life. That first, I begin, that's to be, with prayer for them. That I pray for them and I pray God would work in their hearts. Secondly, I listen to them. That's the L. Ask good questions. Get to hear their story. Third, I eat with them. Build that friendship with them. Let them know how loved they are by me. Fourthly, I serve them. That's the first S that in their lives try to meet some very tangible needs. And finally, and the most important, is that I share Jesus with them. You can't spell blessed with only one S. You need both S's to spell it. And I have to share Jesus with them and also share my story. That's how I engage those who are lost in my life. Now, Philip here didn't know why God was doing what he was doing, but he remained faithful. And notice, it's because he remained faithful, God could use him for his glory. Can I just say that for some of us, God might right now have you in positions and circumstances that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you, that he's moving you around, closing some doors of opportunity, opening other doors of opportunity. Maybe there's trials in your life, there's challenges, there's sickness, and you too, in some way, are saying to God, God, like, what are you up to? What are you up to? Like, what's going on in my life? Could it be possible that God has you right where you are right now, and even though it might seem unclear to you, maybe it's not because of you, but maybe he has you where you're currently at right now because of someone who needs you in their lives. Could it be possible that that's exactly what God is doing? Who has God put in front of you? 
God puts Philip in the middle of nowhere so he can share the love of Jesus to this Ethiopian eunuch. Who has God put in front of you? A friend, a family member, a neighbor, a coworker. Might these be people whom God has prepared and have their hearts ripe for the gospel? Are you willing to be used by God? And more importantly, are you willing to let go of the excuses? That Philip could have said to God, no, no, not, not now, God. I have to finish my work here in Samaria. I have other priorities to get after right now. And I have no doubt, myself included, that we have said these things to God. That God, yeah, I know I need to do this stuff, but I got to work, you know. I got my family to take care of. You know, I, I wish I could share the gospel on, on, on Friday afternoons, but, but, you know, but I have weekend plans. I have to pay the bills, you know. I have to return those phone calls. I have to make dinner. I have to study for school. And on and on it can go. And let me just first say, it is right and necessary for you to fulfill these commitments to your family and also to your work, but what about your commitment to evangelism and to the Great Commission? If we are too busy to reach the lost in our lives, in what ways can you begin to manage your time so that you don't neglect this in your life? And we've all heard this before, right? If it is important, you will make time for it. You will do that, right? We've all heard it said in a thousand different ways, and that is still so true. Remember, Jesus gives us the great commission. He doesn't give the great suggestion. It's the great commission. And here's the final point. The only message that saves is the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 27. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, this verse here tells us a lot about who this person is. And just if you haven't noticed yet, each of these points actually references to three the main characters. The first point was all about the Holy Spirit. The second point was about Philip. And now we move to our third and final character, which is the eunuch. So what do we know about this eunuch here? First, we know that this is a person who was on the very, very top. It says here that he is the treasurer of the kingdom, that he's rolling around in a chariot that is big enough for Philip to jump on. And on top of that, we know that he has lots of money because right now it says that he is reading from the prophet Isaiah. Back in those days before the printing presses, to get your hands on a scroll was not something any regular person can do. In addition to that, these scrolls, the Holy Scriptures, would stay within the synagogues. But here you have a Gentile holding his own personal scroll in his hands. What is going on? This is what's going on. Money often speaks louder than tradition. So he had enough money to have a, a scroll of Isaiah in his hands. In addition, we know that this Ethiopian eunuch could read. In an agricultural society, reading was not a necessity to function. So for him to be able to read, and in this case Greek here, it showed a level of sophistication. So follow me here. The eunuch was educated, wealthy, powerful, cultured, and part of the upper class. This man had it all. And finally, we know that this man was a eunuch. In order for someone to serve at the highest levels of the kingdom, to prove their absolute focus and, and allegiance, they would be willing to be castrated. 
Now, right now, some of us are thinking, wow, that just sounds really, really extreme. That sounds crazy. It shouldn't because we're doing it all the time. People are selling their souls and giving up their marriages and families to make it to the top. We are very similar in many ways to this eunuch. And what we discover about this eunuch is that instead of finding happiness at the very top of the success ladder, he finds nothing but emptiness. In verse 27, it says that as he was going to Jerusalem, to worship. Now, during this time, Ethiopia, present-day northern Sudan, was considered to be on the outskirts of civilization, and it's estimated that this journey was at least 500 miles, and it would have taken at least close to two months to make. So the question we have to ask is, why in the world would he do this? Why would he take off months from work to travel on a very dangerous and long journey to Jerusalem when he had the comforts of Ethiopia to pursue any foreign god that he wanted? Well, he was surrounded by his choice of different temples, of different gods, of different religions. He had all of this in front of him, but yet he was spiritually empty, and he believes that he needs to go to Jerusalem to meet God. So what happens here is that this eunuch finally gets to Jerusalem, he arrives at the temple. Can I just tell you, instead of finding hope, he would find only rejection. Because it says in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, no one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. The eunuch, according to the law, was ritually unclean. So this is what would have happened. He would have taken months to travel to the temple. He would have gotten to the temple, and a priest would have said right in his face, right at the door, you don't belong here. You do not belong here. This eunuch would not have made this journey if he knew it. Why would he make this journey? He didn't know this. And he gets there, and he's turned away. Can you just imagine the turmoil in his heart how rejected he must have felt, how unclean he must have felt. And where we land in our verses is the eunuch is now going back home from the temple here. He's going back to Ethiopia. And right now he's in spiritual, serious spiritual search mode. He's reading his Bible and his heart is ripe for salvation. He is reading from Isaiah 53 verses 7 through 8. Let me just read these verses, verses 32 and 33. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now, the prophecy written here was almost 800 years before the birth of Jesus, and Isaiah said that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would be like a lamb led to the slaughter, and that he would unjustly be accused of crimes, and that he would never open his mouth to ever defend himself. And we know that this prophecy all came true because Jesus stood before Pilate. And he was accused of false crimes, and he was beaten, and Jesus never defended himself. Why? It's because he was bearing our guilt and punishment. So the eunuch is reading from Isaiah, and he can't piece this all together. He's like, who is being talked about here? Who is this person who, you know, who sacrifices their lives? You know, this is why he asked for help in verse 31. How can I understand this unless someone guides me? 
Do you see how open his heart is? He's not, he's willing to be taught. He's not embarrassed to say that he doesn't have the answers. He doesn't care if people think that he's ignorant. He is just trying to find God. And this is the first step always to salvation, humility before God. The eunuch didn't care anymore about how much money he had, how much power he had, how much prominence he had. He needed help, and God sent him someone. Notice, this eunuch would have never received salvation if the eunuch thought that he could do it all on his own. So Philip shares the gospel with him in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And it's in this conversation, our Ethiopian eunuch becomes a Christ follower because he finally understands that Jesus was the perfect lamb that was sacrificed. That Jesus became unclean so that he could be made clean. That it's through the cross he could be accepted before God's eyes. That this eunuch spent his entire life trying to find life trying to find happiness in what he could do and do and do and do and do, even if it meant castration, but it wasn't until he understood that it was what Jesus had done that he finally find salvation and hope. It is the message of the cross that brings salvation. And right after that, you gotta love this, this eunuch says, it's time to get baptized. Verse 36 and 38. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? So he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and, the, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, this is just a quick side point, but this is a very big passage for why we practice believers' baptism at Park, is because they went into the water, and they went out of the water. They weren't sprinkled, you know what I mean? So just side point, okay, side point. I'll let Rafe answer those questions, okay? Now, what we need to see here, okay, I just kind of dropped that, but what we need to see here is the eunuch now, after knowing the gospel, the penny drops, it all makes sense, he wants to go public with his faith in Jesus. And it's through this baptism, he is identifying himself in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he finally understands that his worth is not in what he could do, but it's who he belonged to, Jesus Christ. He didn't care anymore if he was a hot shot in Ethiopia, nor did he care if he was rejected in the eyes of Jewish people. None of it mattered because he was loved by God. Amen? Amen. That's his story. And friends, if I can just take a moment here. For some of you today, you are not a Christian. Either you're sitting here today or watching from home. This, too, can be your story that you are someone that God is pursuing and preparing, and he wants you to love and follow Jesus. That he's been putting questions on your heart about life, God, eternity. Maybe there's an emptiness that you're feeling just like the eunuch, and nothing seems to satisfy, and you're desperate for answers. Do you know that God is trying to get your attention? Will you come to him in faith? You hearing this message today, not a mistake. God brought you here. He has brought me here. He has opened up these set of verses because it is time. Do not harden your heart today, but invite the Holy Spirit to bring the love of Jesus to you. 
You know, ask the Christian friend, you know, who, who's with you today or that you know to share the gospel with you. Or if you're here in person, come up afterwards and any of our deacons and our pastors and our elders would love to just pray and share the good news with you. You know, look at just verse 39 again. It says this. The eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Is that not transformation? That one moment he's sitting in the chariot and he is desperately lost, but now he's on his way rejoicing. And this is what happens when Christ becomes your Lord and Savior, that your heart is no longer filled with desperation, but with joy. And it's not as though this Ethiopian eunuch's circumstances has changed, right? The, the eunuch's life hasn't changed. He's still castrated. He's still going to be working for a queen who doesn't know God. He's still going to be surrounded in a culture of pagan worship. He's going to be going to a place where he might be one of the very few Christians in Ethiopia. If the eunuch had reason to be depressed and lost, he would have plenty, but he's rejoicing. Why? It's because the biggest problem in his life has been met, and it was knowing Jesus. Will you come to him today? He's preparing you. He is calling you to himself. You know, at the end of this passage here, let me just wrap up here. Philip finally, right, understands why God sent him to such a desolate place, why God sent him to run up to a black African on a chariot. It's because the Lord was having mercy on someone, a man whose nationality and castration might make most people think that God does not care for a person like him, Instead, this is a story that tells us God turned the world upside down so that he could pursue him. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the movement of God. It overcomes hard hearts. It overcomes hard soil. It overcomes tough circumstances. It overcomes all sinful barriers. Nothing can stand in the way of God's love for people. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we thank you that for those who are Christ followers in this room here today, that the story of the Ethiopian eunuch is our story. That God, you pursued us. You brought in the right people at the right time doing the right thing in our hearts, Lord, to ask the right questions, to bring about that desperation and need. So, Father, first, we just want to say thank you. Thank you that you have pursued us. Thank you that in your grace you have reached out to us. And, God, I would ask that for us, as Rafe said so well early in the service, that, God, that we should be shouting and rejoicing, that if nothing else is going right in our lives, God, we have, and that is enough. So that, Father, we rejoice in that beautiful fact that we belong to you. And God, we also just pray. We pray for those who are in this room and also outside of these walls who do not know you. God, you are preparing, you are ripening, you are getting your harvest ready. And God, we would pray that you would bring about this great harvest. And Father, that you would send us as workers to work those fields to share the gospel. And God, we would pray that for today, that we would see that those who are lost would be found. Those who feel guilty would be forgiven. And those who are sinners would be loved by you. We pray in your son's name.